Hey friends, it is episode 15 and the very first one in our Summer Stories series. This series you will be hearing from survivors of exploitation. We have waited a long time to do this and that's on purpose because we want to ensure that we do this really well and that no one is re-exploited for their story. Our guests will share their journey into and through exploitation, how they got out, and most importantly, what their lives look like now, and what advice they have for those of us who want to know how to come alongside the people that we love. As you listen, we want you to be mindful of the vulnerability it takes to share such difficult and traumatizing things, and to really listen, to learn, and not to judge. We also want to warn you that there may be triggers throughout this episode and ask that if you are under 18 or worried that you may be triggered, listen with a trusted adult or mentor. We want all of our episodes to be helpful and not hurtful, so please don't do this alone. Today, we have an extra special mother-daughter duo on the podcast that I know you are just going to love. Katerina McLeod is the founder and executive director of Rising Angels. She has survived exploitation, sexual and physical abuse, drug addiction, forcible confinement, and domestic prostitution and trafficking. In 2008, after 15 years in the game, she gained freedom and now walks alongside women who, like her, want to start over and realize that they cannot do it on their own. Katerina is also an internationally respected speaker, author, and training expert on the realities of commercial sexual exploitation. She has studied addictions and community service, sexual violence, and trauma counseling for frontline workers. This mother of four is a courageous survivor who lives her restored life with purpose. And alongside of her today is Deidre, her daughter. Um, Deidre is a creative soul, which can be seen in her singing, teaching, and speaking. Her and her husband Brody are part of E3 Ministry Canada, where they encourage people to follow God wholeheartedly. Um, You are going to love, love this conversation. So please help me welcome my beautiful friends, Katerina and Deidre. Welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, uh, Katerina and Deidre. I am honestly so honored um, that you are coming to share your stories with us. This is a big day. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> it's taken yeah. a while to get this together, right? <laughs> I know, I know. But you know what? It's happening, I believe, at just the right time. So I'm I'm really excited. Um, Deidre, I've known you for a little bit now. We were on the same team for a little while. And I still feel like we're on the same team. You're You're always <laughs> the person who like... Um, I'm the person who forgets to text people back and you're the person who just always will text and be like, Hey, like, how are you doing? Or call or whatever. And like, you're just that very, um, what's like, just like a gentle persistence that you have that just draws people in. And I think that's going to be a part of, I think we're going to hear that come out in your story with your mom today. Um, but I'm just like, I'm really grateful for you. And I'm so glad that you are here. And I don't know you, Katarina, very well. I've only met you now a couple of times, re Deidre, but um, have been, you know, inspired by your story through her and very, very excited that you're going to be sharing that today. So I'll just have you guys um, introduce yourselves to our listeners and then you can just take it away with your story. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm Katerina McLeod. I am Deidre's mom. And um, yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like introducing yourself is always strange. You're like, what things do you say? Um, It is. Well, that's nice that like, yeah, you're my mom. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my name is Deidre Haight and I've 
I love sharing about faith. My husband and I just started our own podcast, figuring that out. Um, public speaking with my mom has been awesome. And also just like encouraging women in their faith in whatever way I can. So I guess that's how I kind of describe myself if I mm -hmm. could. Wow, I think I need track. to go back and re reintroduce myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, anything you'd like to add now, Katarina, to your uh, list of... <laughs> oh, okay, well, I have four kids, Deidre being the oldest. Um, I run a ministry called Rising Angels, um, and we're going to get into that a little bit more um, later. But I honestly, you know, you always hear those stories about, you know, um, restoration and beauty from ashes and all of them. And I know it sounds mm -hmm. like, you know, we hear it, but honestly, I really feel like I lived it and I'm mm -hmm. living it. So um, mm -hmm. I educate people, I share my story, I, I train on um, what Rising Angels does and that kind of stuff. So yeah, this is where I'm at today. And I, I just, I love that. And I think that um, not that, uh, not that the two of you that you're experience, I mean, it's your experience is unique, not in that, like it doesn't ever happen to anybody else. But the fact that to hear a mother and daughter sharing together this um, from these two perspectives, I think is a very rare um, and very special thing <laughs> um, because you often will hear stories of, of survivors, um, but not necessarily the people around them in their lives while this was happening. So this is just like, honestly, I think such a gift um, that the two of you are able to share this. So, I mean, I think we'll just honestly jump right into that. Um, Katarina, if you want to just start by, yeah sharing kind of moving right into your story and let us get to know you probably lots about you <laughs> this is why you don't really need to introduce yourself too much because we're about to learn all the things about you yeah. um, i i like i like Deidre tell the pieces of hers um but i'll share how i got to where i am today um so you know for me sexual abuse started very young my earliest memories mm -hmm. were two years old um it was by my father and you know your father's somebody who's supposed to teach you you know how a guy should treat you um show your respect you know kind of be like mm -hmm. your your daddy right like mm -hmm. they're gonna be your protector and all of those things and instead he wasn't and you know it was very confusing for me because i loved him but this was happening and I think somewhere inside I knew it was wrong, but then I'm like, why is nobody helping me? And there were so many things that went on inside of my brain. And my father was a Sunday school teacher. So we were um, in church every Sunday. I was exposed to, you know, who God was really, really young. And I had this love relationship with Jesus. Like I loved him and I would get my mom to make us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, I would play with Jesus. We would hang out like he was my friend. And so when all of this started happening, it started making me question certain things. You know, for me, I'd always believe like Jesus was like Santa Claus. He could see everything. He could hear everything. He knew everything. Right. And, you know, while this sexual abuse was going on, two other people would come along and start sexually abusing me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think the shift in me really happened. You know, when something like this happens from somebody that you really, really love it's not that you justify it, it's that you don't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. And when two other people come along and start doing the same things, then you're, you know, you know about stranger danger, you know about the wrong touch, you know about all of that stuff. And it just made me start to question God, 
Like, mm. okay, if you can see all of this, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Why am I getting hurt? And, you know, my parents ended up divorcing, but it left this hole inside of my heart because I turned away mm -hmm. from God. I, I hated him. I hated him. Mm -hmm. I thought you could have stopped this. You could have helped me all the times that I was hurt. Like I just couldn't understand. So now I just didn't believe that, you know, to me, he was a fairy tale. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately I had learned very young um, how to sexually satisfy a man. And I took that into my, when I was into my teenage years and I became mm. very promiscuous in search of you know, looking for something to fill that void. I'm mistaken. Mm. Love. Um, I was doing drugs very young. And by the time I was 14 years old, I was pregnant. And that's with this beautiful girl here. <laughs> and I was not, I wasn't equipped to have a mother. My mother wasn't stable. You know, she hadn't taught me the things that, you know, I should have learned, like just the basic life skills, right? Mm. Broke people break people, right? We, yeah. we bleed on each other, right? So I wasn't in no um, state in myself to to have a child or to raise a child, but I was determined to have this child. You know, mm -hmm. I felt that if I had Deja, you know, I would have something that loved me no matter what. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, my baby would never leave me. My baby would never hurt me. So I did have her, but it wasn't the dollhouse and the Barbies and all of that, that I thought it would be, it was real mm -hmm. life crappy diapers and, you know, <laughs> I just thought it cramped my style. It mm -hmm. absolutely, it just stopped me. I was, I was 15 now. Um, mm -hmm. So I continued on, you know, my life. I, I left her with my mother and continued on my, um, you know, my highway to hell of just drugs mm -hmm. and men and, you know, all kinds of craziness. And by the time I was 17 years old, I met a man who was very abusive, but I liked him better than the rest. And in my mind, all men were abusive. So, mm -hmm. you know, things it was like, pick your poison. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was, it was so normal to me. Like when you live something for so long, it, it becomes you. So mm -hmm. when we, we decided to get married, um, and I married him and, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I probably really wasn't, but, you know, we had a daughter together and he was in a jail constantly, um, mm -hmm. very violent to me, to, um, to Deidre and to her, her sister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time he would go to prison, whoever was his flavor friend of the month, because he, he went through a lot of friends, um, they would be in charge of keeping an eye on me. So bringing me for jail visits, um, taking me for groceries, making sure I was being the good wife really wasn't stepping out is what he was looking for. Right. That control mm. that he could have, a, you know, because he wasn't physically there. And the last time he had um, went to prison, there was a friend of his, um, we'll call him Chris. And he got Chris to keep an eye on me. And Chris did. He brought me for jail visits. He took me out to get groceries but he also developed a friendship with me. He was not the typical male species that I had come across. He was nice. He had a full-time job, you know, he dressed <laughs> good, all of those things that I wasn't used to. I was used to men who were abusive, couldn't hold jobs, did drugs, you know, party, party, party. And he wasn't like that. And so I can remember times that I would go 
to get my kids from my mom's house and they weren't there because Chris was taking them out for ice cream. And it was just so bizarre to me um, that, you know, he actually made me feel human. So mm. we, we built a friendship and, you know, we continued that friendship. Um, my husband got moved to a halfway house, which is, you know, a place they go before they get released into society and had, you know, would show up at my house threatening to hurt me all the time or, you know, hurt the kids. And I just got to a point where I didn't want that life. I didn't want to be beat up mm. anymore. I didn't want to be scared. I didn't want to be any of those things. And I can remember telling my husband, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, like I'm done. And he's crying and crying. And, and I made a deal with him that if he could stay, you know, sober for a year, get a job, stop beating me, get help, I'd come back. And those were my intentions, because even though I guess the way I grew up wasn't the greatest, I still have set, had some values and morals when it came to marriage. I absolutely mm. did. I, I took what I said um, at the altar very seriously. So mm. I wanted that. I had a broken family. I didn't want my kids to be in that, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, I had told Chris about the whole ordeal, you know, and, and what had happened. And I was just so stressed out. And Chris and his family were going away for a weekend to Niagara Falls. So he asked me if I want to go, which I thought, you know, it's it's cool to go with him because his mom and dad's there and his sister's there. It's not just me and him alone. There's nothing romantic. It's not like that. So mm -hmm. I, I, I took it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, get a break from all this crazy chaos. And you know, these two little kids. <laughs> so I went and um, we left on a Friday, you know, no cell phones. This is how old this story is. But, you know, Saturday morning, I called my mom to check on the kids. She was upset. My husband was there for a visitation, um, had taken our daughter. Deidre's not his daughter. Um, the My other daughter is his and wouldn't bring her back so the police had to get involved i couldn't leave because i didn't drive there chris's parents had drove to niagara falls and then you know she assured me everything was fine so we stayed we stayed till the monday and um the monday morning we went back to chris's place so we could get his car and i i called my mom quickly to say hey i'm back in town you know i'm coming home and she was again really upset my husband was at her house threatening you know to kill the kids let let him in and I called the police. So, you know, I asked Chris to drive me home to my mom's and he did. And I can remember pulling up into the parking lot and I seen police there with my husband. Um, and I didn't get out of the car. I didn't want conflict. I didn't want anything. I just sat back. I watched and they let him go, which he was violating all his conditions of being in a halfway house. Right. So mm. if you're in a halfway house, there's rules when you have your time, free time, it's to work or for appointments, um, right. you know, there's curfew, there's all that kind of stuff. And he, he had broken all of that. So I was pretty shocked that they let him go. Um, but, you know, they let him go. He wanted, he went on his way. And as soon as, you know, everything was clear, I went into my mom's house and Chris left. And, you know, it was, it was just crazy. The stuff that, you know, my mom had told me she had went through over the weekend. And, you know, I was kind of scared to go back to my apartment with the kids because, I knew he was kind of around. I'm like, maybe he's going to mm. do something. You know, it was always this cat and mouse thing of, I can't have you. Nobody will. And, mm. you know, I stayed by my mom's because I was just too nervous. I thought, well, it's safer here. And as the day progressed, you know, um, 
you know, my husband's mother started calling me, his sister, nobody had heard from him. He hadn't turned back, uh, returned back to the halfway house. So in my mind, he was out there waiting for me to leave, to go back to my apartment. Um, mm. So nobody heard from him. And the next morning around 8.30 in the morning, I stayed at my mom's. Um, there was a knock at her door and it was Chris. And he, you know, my mom let him in. He came into the spare room where I was sleeping and woke me up. And I was really upset. And I was like, you know, like my husband's out. I'm, I don't know where he is. You know, the halfway house has been calling me. He's like, don't worry about it. You know, got to go somewhere. Come with me. Just come with me, you know, come for the ride. And I was like, okay. So I'm like, Ma, you mm -hmm. watch the kids. And I went and um, I noticed like we were started when we were driving, we started driving out of the city. and. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, well, where are we going? And Chris told me that he had um, followed my husband from my mother's house. And because they were friends, he went in his car and then he drove him up to his parents, um, Chris's parents, uh, grandparents cottage and he killed him. And he was taking me with him <laughs> um, to bury the body. Wow. So you know, I know like when I talk about it now, I've talked about it so many times that, you know, the, the, emo I'm so detached from it. Right. Mm. Um, but I can remember, you know, first of all, not believing him thinking it was a setup. They were both going to kill me. Um, then part of me is like, what if it is true? And I say anything or react, he's going to kill me. Mm. Like there were so many things. All I kept thinking was I need to get home. I need to get back to my kids. I need to get back to my mm. kids. And I won't go into details, um, but he did. He did kill him and he did bury him in front of me. And basically for the next three years, he held me and my family pretty much hostage of if you go to the police, you know, um, people are going to get killed, that kind of thing. But in order to deter the police, he wanted me to file a restraining order, um, apply for a divorce and join a woman's support group for abused women. So I was, I, I did all three of these things and I was allowed to go to this woman's support group and talk about the abuse that I suffered from my husband, but obviously nobody knew he was dead and I couldn't say anything. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, you share some pretty deep stuff with people in there. There, you know, all these women. And mm -hmm. there was one girl there who was, you know, she had big blonde hair and she was dressed very provocative, but she was bubbly and outgoing and you know we got along really well and um she came to me one day and, and asked me if I want to work for her and I said okay well what do you do and she she's like I own a massage parlor and I didn't even know these things existed <laughs> like, I knew strip joints but I didn't know like massage parlors they're called rub and tugs right it's not like a mm. it's not RMT <laughs> no. um you know, something inside of me, there was a couple of things I remember that went through my head at that point. And the first was if I could do it, I could save money and escape the situation I was in. Excuse hmm. me. The second was it won't be so hard to do because I've been so promiscuous and raped so many times. So at least I'll get paid for it. Hmm. Like that's hmm. the way in my mind. That's how it was at that point. And I can remember going home um, and telling Chris the job offer. And he was okay with it because it turned out that the woman who offered me the job was his father's ex-girlfriend. So it was like, <laughs> what are the chances? Like how? <laughs> yeah, you know, so oh I God. 
that's how my world of sexual exploitation started. And, mm. you know, the, you know, the things that, you know, I hear these, some of these pro groups saying, you know, you can choose your clients, you can pick your times, all of that stuff. It's not so bad. You make good money. It's, it's all, it's all a lie. Um, mm. None of that gets to happen. You know, there's something that happens to you when you, have sex with somebody for money that you don't know there's no attraction mm. to, you have no relationship with it changes something so deep inside your core mm. and it was like it, it changed me it was like there was no coming back you know it wasn't mm. like i did it and then was like i'm not going to do this again it was so horrible it just literally crumbled all of me anything that mm. i had left was just gone and that's how it began for me that's mm. how it began. So I spent, you know, 15 years um, in prostitution. So between massage parlors and strip joints out of my apartment, out of hotels, out of my car, um, it just became a way of life. And, you know, when you are getting ready to go to this so-called job, um, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to put makeup on and you put, you know, big, get your hair done and nails done. And you just, you know, you're looking provocative and it's very sexual. And, you know, so I would go to work and I would be, you know, the last, we all have working names. And one of mine was mm -hmm. Taylor and, you know, and then I come home and try to be mom. Right. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I couldn't separate the two. It just mm -hmm. spilled over into it everything about me ooh, sexuality I'd go and pick the kids up from school and I'd be dressed in you know such provocative clothing I'd be handing out cards to the dads when they spoke to me I was very mm -hmm. sexual around my kids um I was also very unemotionally available for my children you know mm -hmm. my life was chaotic there was violence and even you know when I finally did go to the police and I did turn Chris in it it still continued it still continued I didn't you know, fix the trauma that had happened there. So I just tucked mm -hmm. it away and, and numbed myself even more and went mm -hmm. even more, more wild. And, you know, all the while dragging kids around, you know, mm -hmm. um, like 22 times that I moved with the kids, wow. you know? So, you know, you ended up failing, was it grade one or kindergarten, Deidre? I think it was grade one. <laughs> <laughs> and that was because we had moved so much. Yeah. you know, and there was no stability, but mm. in my brain, I'm like, okay, I'm paying for everything. You know, they've got a roof over their head. I'm not beating the crap out of them. They're good. You know, mm. not understanding the impact of, you know, the same way I didn't feel safe in my family, mm. you know, my kids are going to grow up with, and I didn't even recognize it or realize it until after I had got away from mm. all of them. Right. Um, mm. You were still in like a a survival mode, sort of, oh, of let me okay. just, and, and if, if it seems like it was like, well, at least it's not as bad as what I was in, but it was like, it was just a different kind of. Yeah. And and I think, you know, if I would have stopped and really been able to do that, I don't know if I, I would have been here today, you know, like there was a lot of stuff that I was mm. dealing with and, you know, people were damaged. You know, my family was damaged. I had nightmares all the time, you know. Um, the horrors that I had seen with my own two eyes and, you know, then trying to, you know, keep the police at bay because they were questioning me all the time. And, and Chris would be in the house in another room with my mother. 
or you know when my mother and i lived apart he moved in with her like there was so many different things to why i i didn't feel safe and besides the fact mm -hmm. that the police never helped anytime that my husband had beat me up they didn't do anything so who was more mm -hmm. real right so yeah. it just was trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma and um yeah i the more i could numb myself through drugs through cutting through whatever it was um i did it and unfortunately you know my children were they bore witness to it like you know deidre will tell you like she would you know hold my hair up while i was throwing up you know she's seen drunken mm. me all the time um as a role model i wasn't a good role model it was for me it was all about mm. the way you look um you're only gonna you're only gonna be loved if you look a certain way and i, I, I threw that over into my kids you know i can remember them sitting there watching me do makeup watching me get ready for work you know um so yeah i think about 10 years into the game um i went to work at another massage parlor and um one of the owners there um was a guy and um you know he tried to take me out on dates he tried to you know whatever and i wasn't interested um but he kind of pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until i finally was like okay and he was a pimp and mm -hmm. he was a pimp um but again it's normal right there's a hierarchy in the game that that people don't know about which is you know it's the working girl it's what we call the bottom bitch, um mm -hmm. and then it's the pimp and every working girl is trying to become that main girl because then mm -hmm. she doesn't have to work you know what i mean she becomes the important one all of that kind of stuff right so you know we went out on on dates and he was the smoothest um i had the best time of my life with him you know he was taking me out buying me all kinds of stuff like i can remember he brought me to sherway gardens and bought me two pairs of jeans each one of them costing a thousand dollars each you know just mm -hmm. you know like slithered and i say slithered his mm -hmm. way to my life and you know i ended up getting pregnant by him mm -hmm. i didn't want any more kids i mean i had you know chloe and, and deidre and who were how old were you did you 14 no 10 11. oh my gosh i don't even when? know For when when i got pregnant with josh i was either like 14 15. yeah yeah so you know i'm i'm having this baby that i don't even mm. want to have another baby but you know it, it happened so that led me on another road of you know now get being involved with this pimp and you know, being pregnant and all this crazy, crazy, chaotic stuff, stuff continued to happen. So Deidre, you can kind of take it if you want a little bit now. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd love to hear now, like just having that fresh in our minds of what yeah. your experience was, Katarina. So Deidre, from looking on like as, as a daughter growing up in the same environment, what was, what is kind of your story in, in, in this? Yeah. So whenever mom shares her story, um, especially the stuff with Chris and stuff I'm sitting and listening and I I was there like I was born by this time but it's insane because there's so much I don't remember and I know that's just a trauma response like yeah. it's just your mind blocking it out but mm -hmm. I honestly don't even remember so much of that time there's little memories that come to my mind um mm -hmm. and as a a young person like 
we didn't know exactly what was going on. Like we just knew that it was her boyfriend and I knew that he was abusive, but I didn't understand what that meant. And I knew he was abusive because I remember turning up music really, really loud and like going in the Mm -hmm. bedroom with my sister and Mm -hmm. um, just listening to the music because I don't even really remember. But what I think was happening was like he was abusing my mom. So we were trying to not hear it. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was very nice to me. Like he was never never physically abusive or mean to me at all. But I know that he was very mean to my sister um, because Mm -hmm. I was in school and maybe she was home. Like, so there was a side I wasn't seeing, even though you feel as a kid, you feel your surroundings. Like it feels unsettled. It feels unsafe. And maybe you don't know why, but you know, you feel, but then it's hard because it's also your normal. So like, unless you're, really with other kids or like hearing their experiences you're like oh maybe everybody just kind of feels this way and it's just the way it is Mm -hmm. um so yeah mom shares and I'm like oh wow like I forget a lot of things (laughs) in our life um and so what I would say growing up is yeah it was just like you're craving for attention from your mom from your parents like love validation all those things and it was very lacking like she was saying she wasn't emotionally available and really how could she be like she's on survival mm-hmm. mode um she isn't even able to have grace or process her own emotions how mm-hmm. can she process ours <laughs> there's so much yeah. going on yeah um so it just felt like a very lonely space you know like i have my sister sisters fight you know um <laughs> We kept ourselves amused. Um, and like my Nana was always there, but it didn't feel like there was really a safe place. Um, and then being the oldest, mm-hmm. being like an empath, all these things mm-hmm. that are a blessing <laughs> and sometimes feel like a curse, um, is then like she said, taking care as I got a little bit older, like trying to care for her trying to make sure she's okay even though that's not supposed to be my responsibility as a kid but you are just trying to help um so her coming home drunk or high uh and then like she said like making sure she got to bed safely or was throwing up and taking care of her or breakup after breakup after breakup (laughs) (laughs) she she always jokes about the breakups because she'd come home and there'd be like it'd be dark with candles and soft music playing and i'd be crying right women's of song like here we go again (laughs) but we were always so happy actually we were happy as kids when there was a breakup because we were so Mm. done with her boyfriends yeah like she was she was so trying to find her own worth and validation in men that as soon as a man would be present it's like we didn't exist Mm. and that was really painful for us and there was a lot of anger and frustration um and even if we tried to express it she just wouldn't hear us like it would Mm. be like oh that's dumb or stupid or whatever um Mm. so we hated her boyfriends like in all (laughs) because they were getting in the way and we just wanted our mom well they were taking the attention that you were craving right like even though it's hard to you don't know how to put words to that necessarily as a child but you know when something is being taken from you that you want and that's being put somewhere else right it's the same one like even when you have a if someone has like a second child the first child gets jealous even if nobody's neglecting anybody you know what i mean you feel you still feel that if you don't know what it is 
That's so true. yeah, that that a hundred percent that makes sense. <laughs> well, I think yeah. the the running joke for the longest time, and then when it finally hit me, it wasn't a joke. Was you know I would have all these candles everywhere with the with help carved in them. Deidre was carving help in all of these candles, and I was just like, oh, you know, whatever. But now mm. I'm like, wow, wow. Like she literally. Okay, so tell me about that, Deidre. So what <laughs> what had like I yeah what made you do do that? That's so fascinating. This is like another thing, Twilight. Like, <laughs> I don't know why the heck I did half the things I do, did or said the thing. Mom remembers things I said that I don't remember. So mm. much of my childhood I don't remember. But it was like, it makes sense that it would be a cry of help of like, literally, I feel unheard. I feel whatever. So like, can somebody see me like in some space? Mm. I call the kids helpline. Like, that would be my friend. Like, yeah. I wow. I just felt like I didn't belong at home. I didn't have a space there. Mm -hmm. Then at school, I'm being made fun of. So, like, I really didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And mm -hmm. I didn't know, like, how to talk. So, like, I found the helpline. Thanks, Kiss yeah. Helpline. And I just read them my poetry or, like, just share about my day. It's, like, so sweet. See, I didn't even know she called the kids help. Kids <laughs> helpline. So, right now. Yeah. There, there's there's so many things on, in their journey. I mean, Deidre will say, mom, do you remember when you did this? And I have no recollection. You know, right. like I took her to work with me. Yeah. I sat her in the back of the spot. So she tells me um, while she did homework and I worked. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. who would do that? You know, this <laughs> was just, again, how normal Mm -hmm. right. normal right. and not normal and the <laughs> things we do in survival mode are not necessarily things we're going to remember like in you like Deidre your like your survival mode was in like in your you're a very creative person which mm -hmm. anyone who knows has met you for five seconds knows you're a creative person but that was you you know like surviving in those moments and I even I was even just wondering and this might be like way off topic and we can edit this out but like the music thing was so fascinating to me because like you have taught voice lessons, you're very musical, you have a beautiful singing voice, all of these things, even the poetry, like you know, that was like song lyrics, but mm -hmm. music is, is, is a big thing for you. And that, that, that was where, where you would go. That was your safe space when you mm -hmm. thought that something was not right. Yeah. You were like, in, and I wonder if that's like part of what, you know, still brings you, you know, comfort and it brought out that in that, that creative part of you. Ah, oh, that's just so fascinating to me. Yeah, it was my own therapy before I understood music therapy. <laughs> Songs like, yeah, they were speaking an emotion. They were expressing an emotion in a way that it was like, yeah, you get me. So mm -hmm. like you connect with mm -hmm. those songs and then you, you there's freedom to like belt it out in your room and for a moment <laughs> express it, but also for a moment kind of es escape too like mm -hmm. to, to focus on singing and being present and like being creative and enjoying that moment of that song. Um, mm -hmm. So music was really helpful to me and just being able to express that way and get lost in a song as well, but then feel understood or heard or sing it out. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like finding those things that you weren't finding in the surroundings outside of your room and outside of the music right um yeah. outside of that space you you couldn't find that but in that one space is where you could mm -hmm. because we that. weren't we weren't even like the average family to like oh we're gonna go to wonderland or we're gonna go do this on mm -hmm. like go away for the summer we never did there was nothing like that but i never mm -hmm. had that growing up so i, I mm -hmm. guess in turn i'm like 
it was nothing right so mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't put that time aside you know if i did anything with the kids i'm sorry <laughs> it would be me taking them to denny's um mm -hmm. i'd be like okay i come off a night shift from work and i take them to denny's and i'd i'd lie down in on the bench in the restaurant and go to sleep and tell them to order food that was my spending time with these kids mm. like mm -hmm. you know and i laugh because i look back and i'm like i just can't believe that i was that person <laughs> like wow um yeah it, it blows me away it well, feels like a lifetime ago in some ways <laughs> i don't even know her i i don't even mm. know her you know i i can always i could for so long always think about her and have guilt, shame, and all of that stuff. Mm. I don't have any of that anymore. I have sadness for her mm. and for the things that my kids suffered because of her. Mm. But that hatred, that guilt, that it's not there anymore. It's like, mm. I don't even know who she is, you know? So when I talk about her, I just, I do, I feel so far removed. Yeah. You know? And I, like I was telling mom, I feel the same way um is when she apologizes for things from the past i'm like like i'm not emotionally connected to that anymore because you're not the same person like it's like we've lived different lifetimes <laughs> yeah um, but if i think if i think more of like how it affected me is just like feeling that i didn't belong feeling unseen not heard like a burden shame shame was a big thing like you can't tell people what your mom does you everything has to be on the down low or quiet i can't go to her like bring your kid to work day like but i can't also explain it so yeah. i just feel dumb right like mm -hmm. and then just she said like the way she, she get ready for work doing her makeup so I, those would be the times that i spend with her just sit and watch her get her makeup on and while she got ready um and then just learning from the way she spoke the way she acted the way i watched her live her life because that's what kids do is me as a woman my only worth comes from my appearance that's what i she was teaching me and that my only value comes from like my sexuality and men would only want me for sex um so it really kind of ingrained that in me from a young age um and unfortunately she was half asleep in the morning so i would borrow her clothes and go to school in elementary school um and she would get letters that daughter was dressing too promiscuous for school mm. to buy her new clothes but i was yeah. boring my mom's clothes <laughs> i remember getting a phone call and them saying um does your daughter own a leopard mini dress i'm like uh no and they're like well she's wearing a leopard mini dress and i'm like yeah i think it's mine and i had to like you know i'm like oh my gosh right so yeah yeah, I mean, children live what they learn or they, they live from what they learn, right? It's simple. So she was, who was her role model, mm -hmm. right? It was me, you know? And I was the, mm -hmm. I think, the person to kind of keep the to keep everybody together. You know, our, my mom was there, but my mom was, she was in her own world. And, you know, she wasn't emotionally available either right from her trauma so i was like the breadwinner i was out there doing it and you know i could justify that and all the pain that i was going through because i had to take care of my family 
right? And we we can't give what we don't have, right? So it's... Yeah, and I think coming to a place of, you know, there was a time, and I mean, well, obviously we'll get through to, you know, how I ended up here and how Deidre and I ended mm-hmm. up here. But, you know, there was a time when the kids would say things and, you know, I would have the excuse as well. I was messed up. I was this, I was that. There was always that excuse. And, you know, when I started my healing journey, it was literally about justifying how they felt and Mm. really feeling sorry for what had happened Mm. to them regardless of whether I was mentally aware in control whatever it was Mm -hmm. the fact was that that pain was still caused because of what I did or didn't do and Mm. just to say like I'm sorry like I am Mm. honestly I'm sorry and to walk through and Deidre and I have walked through the pain together Mm. the healing journey together so I've healed, but she's healed too, right? So mm. it's and yeah. that's so evident in in hearing you guys just talk about this. And I think that that's one of the things that having having stories shared on the podcast, I think this is one of the most powerful things is that, you know, people who, even if it's not the same kind of situation that leaves them in a broken relationship with a family member or whatever, but it's like restoration is possible. And it doesn't have to stay the same way forever. And like you said, Karina, like that, just that first step of being like, I am really sorry. If I think about, you know, the restoration, I mean, it, I mean, it's a God, it's a God story. Mm. This never happened without God. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in my journey of going through everything that I had went through, I like I had that daddy hole in my heart. So I was mm-hmm. still trying to have a relationship with my father, um, even though he had sexually mm-hmm. abused. Um, so he was in the church still. So I was like, I need to go to church because I want to have this relationship with him. And I grabbed Deidre and be like, you're coming to church with me, right? And she come to church with me, but I I didn't want to go anymore. Like I I felt dirt and shame and all. I felt like every, all eyes were on me. Like everybody mm-hmm. knew what had happened. So that's really, even though my father did something so horrific, he was kind of the catalyst that, <laughs> that flipped it around, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. So so tell us about that. So how did you, you know, so I mean, now here you are, you both are very long way down your healing journey and, um, you know, running organizations and, you know, hosting podcasts and all of these things. So how did you um, get out of the industry, Katarina? What did that look like? And I know, Deidre, you said you prayed for your mom for years and it's just like a really cool, um, yeah. you know, to see that come into fruition. So yeah, walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, Deidre used to, you know, put scriptures on my door, <laughs> and I would, I would be like, "What the hell?" You know, I'm just like, "God loves you." I'd be like, "You know, I really, I really hated God." Right? Um, Deidre and her quiet persistence, right? Just so beautiful. I love it. And I wasn't, I wasn't lovable. I mean, so Deidre really, I know she clung on to God mm. hardcore when it came to like, how do I love this crazy woman? You know, like, how do I do it? Right? Um, but I had been in the game 15 years at this point. I had, like I said, I had a pimp. I had two kids by that pimp and there was, um, a sexual assault. He was sexually assaulting Deidre. Um, we, I found out after I gave birth to my last son. So it was a whole bloody mess again. Right. And back at here, I am in the game harder than I ever was before. Now I've got four kids to support Mm. and it just, you know, it was started to take a toll on me. to the fact of where I was, you know, suicidal. I was always thinking about dying. I was worried I was going to kill somebody else. I was so angry. I was 
you know, I always sometimes wish I had a snippet of, of the way I was back then. I was hard. I was, I was rock solid. Nobody could get through. I had no feelings or emotions for people. I would go up to you and beat the crap out of you just because that's who I was. Mm -hmm. I was angry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had met a customer who, you know, you're not supposed to get involved with customers, but again, I see how God uses people in seasons and this customer and I, you know, we liked each other and he didn't want me doing what I did. And he offered me an out and he said, you know, I'll take care of you and the kids if you leave mm. industry. And, you know, I had went back to school while I was in, in the industry and took in a, got a diploma in addictions. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to leave and I can, you know, get sober and go get a job and do all of those things. And I left and he supported me and I couldn't get a job because I was such, I was such a mess. I was mm. an addict. I didn't realize the damage that had been done to me until I had really been removed from it. But in him taking care of me, he controlled all of the monies. He gave me an allowance. So really I became like his private prostitute. Mm. And, you know, I had been three years out. I was allowed to volunteer. He didn't want me to work. There was no point. Then we'd have to get a babysitter. You're not making money. Um, but I started, you know, helping police, um, rescue girls who had been human trafficked or, you know, weren't stuck in prostitution. And I could kind of see like, that's where I was going. I want to scream from the mountaintops, the truth that, excuse me, nobody chooses this. It's mm -hmm. lack of choice. It's unresolved trauma that leaves you vulnerable to fall prey to this situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, three years later, um, he comes home one day and he lets me know he's leaving me and I mm -hmm. have no income. I have nothing. And the only thing that I know is to go back into mm. prostitution. And I remember when I left prostitution, the day, the moment, the second I left prostitution, it was Deidre I called. And mm. she like, I think she dropped the phone and she was just so like <laughs> emotional. It was such a big thing for us because she had prayed for so long for this freedom. Mm. And, you know, in these three years of being out, I didn't find God. I, I still mm. didn't really like him, you know. <laughs> um, but the funny thing that did happen, and this is a God aha again, <laughs> is, you know, I, my, my, lead, my birth name is not Katerina. That is not the name that I was born with. Mm. Um, and every time I would hear my birth name, it would remind me of my abuse. It would remind me of things. So I started thinking in my own brain, like, I want to change my name. And I had told mm. nobody this. And I remember Deidre called me one day and she said, Mom, I believe God has a new name for you. And I'm freaked out. Like, how would she know that? And like, like I didn't tell anybody. And that night I went to bed and I heard the name Katerina three times. And I woke up and I Googled it. And it means pure. And I, oh, I <laughs> even though I'm still like, I don't believe in you. Mm. I knew like, because of, of knowing him. So like, as a little girl, I knew his voice, uh, but it was mm. falling on deaf ears. And you know what? God's a gentleman, man. He's going to knock on that door, but he ain't forcing his way in unless you let him. Right. Mm. And I was in a place to let him. So, you know, I called Deidre and I'm crying and I'm telling her, like, I'm, I'm going to have to go back to prostitution because I have no money and I'm going to have nowhere to live. And, 
you know, and Deidre is just beside herself. And well, you mm. can tell the story from there. Deidre, go ahead. Mm. And here's another part of my life. Like, do I just have a bad memory? I don't know. I don't remember that conversation about your name. <laughs> I don't remember the conversation with my mentors sharing with them, but apparently I did. So I had a really awesome woman in the church who was like a mentor to me. And at the time that mom shared that she was, she had left um, and then was feeling like she had to go back now. I was actually in Saskatchewan. I had been doing college and then I worked there for a, a little bit out in Saskatchewan. Um, so I guess what I did of not knowing what to do is called my mentor and was like, my mom is going to go back into prostitution. Can you pray? Like we need mm. to pray. Um, and her and her husband stepped up and said, we will give her first and last month's rent for a place. Um, mm. So funny mm -hmm. thing is mom, I tell mom and mom just like, I want to take money from Jesus people. <laughs> like, <laughs> but she did. She ended up doing it. I did. I did. I, you know, and she's like, oh, they'll give you the money. And I had met um, this woman who was her youth leader. And she actually threw a, a going away party for Deidre that I went to high. And I turned my back around the fire pit and didn't face everybody. Like, this is just the person that I was. Mm. So I was like, I, I don't want money from Jesus people. You know, in my mm -hmm. head, there's a string attached. What the heck is this? And I made an appointment with a client and I went to the hotel to see this client. And I, I can remember sitting on the bed and thinking, first of all, if I do this and get caught, all of the women that I've given hope to in the last three years, it's out the window. Mm. And then I thought, if I do this, I'm not coming back. Like mm. I knew I wasn't coming back and I didn't go through with the transaction. I left and I took the money. I not his mm. money. <laughs> the Jesus leader. people money. <laughs> and, you know, it was funny again, God in his sense of humor, you know, I get this money. These people literally move me. They help me find a place which they live in the country. Okay. Mm. I can't find a place. Where do I find a place? Literally five minutes down the street from them. <laughs> five okay. Then like, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I'm not a people person. I'm an introvert. You know, now this lady is like coming to check on me for tea and coffee. I'm like, oh my God, you know? Um, but I felt obligated to go to church. She never asked me. She never nothing. I just felt like because she was a Christian, I had to go to her church. And <laughs> I went to her church. And I think it was like the second or third Sunday in church. And they were like, oh, we're offering this Alpha chorus. So the woman's name is Sheila. And Sheila looks at me and she's like, oh, do you want to go to Alpha? And I really thought that she wanted to go to Alpha and felt obligated again, not realizing she'd been in the church for 25 years. I said, okay, <laughs> fine, sure, I'll go with you to Alpha. But I went on a mission to prove that God was like every man that I had ever met in my life. Mm. So I had, I was rude. I asked the most inappropriate questions. I would be like, okay, well, God says you can't do this. You know, you can't have sex before marriage. Well, what about oral sex? What about this? What about that? You know, yeah. and nobody was shocked. Everybody would be like, okay, well, Katarina, in the Bible it says, and I'm just like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't rock the boat here, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, I went to Alpha, <laughs> I, I asked the hard questions, 
I was starting to have, you know, a church family, which was so bizarre. Like all these people just mm. embraced me. Nobody judged me. Nobody did any, like they just, it was like, I was cat, you know? Mm. Um, and the ninth week into alpha, I actually was just so broken. I was, there was craziness mm. going on in my life again. And I was leaving alpha that week, that um, ninth, ninth weekend to commit suicide. I just couldn't mm. take any. And I remember Alpha ended at 9 p.m. I drove around in my car. I'm driving, driving, driving. I'm speeding up to these poles because that's the way I'm going to take myself out. I'm going to hit a pole full speed. That's it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I'm driving for hours, you know, you know, speeding up and then slowing down, speeding up, slowing down. And I, I remember hearing about 1230, 1230 in the morning, I heard a voice that said, just give me a chance. And I knew the voice. And I just, at that point, I want it. I know nobody really wants to die. They just want the pain to stop. Right. Mm. And that's what it was. I just wanted this pain mm. to stop. So I pulled over my car. Now it's 1235 AM. I pull over my car and I remember saying, okay, okay. If you're real, do whatever it is that you need to do. And there was no fireworks. There was no nothing. Mm. But that void, that hole that I had been trying to fill through men, through sex, through material, through money, through all of it was instantaneously filled. Mm. I had a piece that I can't explain that I've mm. never had in my life. You know, so I didn't tell anybody. Um, I just went about my business, went home. And then it was Deidre I called again. <laughs> the first person. <laughs> be like you know what I did and she was like oh my god do you know what that means you're like in the church I was just and it scared me I was like oh my god like what the hell did I do you know um, and that's literally what started the whole you know 180 in my life absolutely mm -hmm. you no know? and I have been you know I, I gave my life to Christ. Um, you know, my church, they made a huge, they made such a big deal out of me being baptized, you know, they, <laughs> they celebration. And it was like, it was a, just an amazing day. And, you know, I, I wanted to help women. I really wanted mm. to help. Them. And Sheila and Todd, who were her youth leaders, they became my mentors. They became mm. my spiritual parents. And, you know, it's funny now because Sheila's, oh, I did not like her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but now, excuse me, now she's like my mom. She's like mm. my mom and Todd is like the dad that I never had. And mm. Deidre and I have had to work so hard on us and our relationship. And like, it's just, it's amazing. I, I don't feel like if things would have been amazing through our whole lives that we would be any closer than I feel that we are today. You know, we share mm -hmm. stage together. We, we tell our story together. We pray together. We do all those things together that I'm sure at one point in her head, she thought it's never going to happen. And mm -hmm. I, there's no way if you would have said, you know what, Kat, one day you're going to be an executive director of this and you're going to be a Christian and you're going to be, I'd be like, absolutely not. I, I honestly thought I would be dead. You know, mm. like I'm going to be turning 50 this year. Like, how did this happen? Wow. Gosh. That's <laughs> you know? amazing. That's amazing. 
<laughs> like I did not think that I I would be here, you know. So yeah, grace is very, very real. Very yeah. Real. And Deidre, kind of from yeah, so I mean, from you, your perspective praying for your mom for all those years and just, you know, getting that phone call from her and like, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that <laughs> from your side. I mean, she said, you, you know, you well, the first time you dropped the phone, you know, the second time you're like, Jesus person. But like, walk yeah. us through some of that, like that emotional, like that's a, that would have been a roller coaster of years for you of, of praying and not knowing um, if it was ever going to happen. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. it was like at least eight years of praying because wow. I surrendered my life to God, as mom said, because she went to church because her dad was going to church. I went to church because she was going to church. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was probably bringing us to church to meet Jesus. So, um, <laughs> so at like, I don't know, like 13, 14 is I when I, I surrendered my life to God because I was like, oh, wow, there's a God that, that loves me and wants a relationship with me. And I don't have to be good enough in my own strength. Um, mm -hmm. So then learning about him, I was like, okay, I'm going to pray. Like, I'm a teenager. I can't financially support my mom. I can't do like, but I can pray. And she's right. Mm -hmm. I would lock myself in my room <laughs> again. And now <laughs> the focus of music was a little bit different because I would just worship, just like cry out to God mm -hmm. and bring him in that space as well. And I ask him, how do I love my family? Because they're mean. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? That's so real. If I can just interrupt you for a moment, yeah. and I'm sure we could do an entire session on this because I think like, you know, we, it's easy to love people who are lovely, right? Absolutely. But how many of us are locking ourselves in our room and being like, dear Lord, like this person is in my life and I just like, they are mean and I don't know how to love them. Like that, I think just in itself, the, the mm -hmm. act of doing that is so transformative, even for our own mm -hmm. selves, even if the other person is never any less mean. Yeah. You know, like there's something yeah. so powerful about that. And I think even the fact that the chaos that was going on outside mm. of, her, you know, mm -hmm. it's like her room was sacred, you know, mm -hmm. and we, we always like, I'll let you get back to your story, Deidre's story. But we always say like, when she walks in a room, it lights up. There's light that follows 100%. her, you know, 100%. Um, so, yeah. And I, at this point I had, I'm not in the same province. So she calls me. Mm. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, prayer, like, you know, sometimes we think prayer and we're like, oh, this nice prayer, like, here's this blessing, la, la, la. <laughs> like, no, but like hard prayer of like, mm -hmm. you sometimes feel like you're banging your head off the wall or like, God, mm -hmm. if you love her, why aren't you moving yet the way that mm -hmm. I expect you to move? Are you hearing <laughs> me? Do you care? Like, like really crying out and, and also that persistence, like you said, because it's like eight years and like mm. you could give up praying and be like, okay, nothing's changed. Nothing's going to change mm. done. Or you can continue to say, Lord, give me the strength because I love her enough to continue to pray. Mm -hmm. And then you need to give me love and you need to give me persistence. So her calling and telling me that, like, first of all, telling her she left the business was insane altogether. Mm -hmm. I prayed for that. <laughs> um, but then her actually saying she gave her life to Jesus. I've been <laughs> praying for that too, but 
you know like you're like oh, you're like it's probably not gonna i know i feel like i should pray for this but like eh. like if she just got out of the business i'd be like woohoo like you know that's just one thing at a time here so you see god working you see him moving and then it, it builds your faith too because you're like wow this is a miracle like this is a miracle i didn't have first and last month's rent I'm not even there ministering to her. God's using different people. Mm -hmm. I'm praying from another province. I prayed all the, the years that before I left, but seeing God's goodness and like mm -hmm. knowing that like I'm a piece of it with him, but I'm not, it's not all on me. It's not all my mm -hmm. responsibility. So for me, it is a story. And when we share it, it just is encouraging. I have a tattoo for her. It's a butterfly. And that's the story. It's her story. And it's our story. And it reminds me that nothing, nothing is too impossible. So there's still people that we are praying for together and that we pray for women that she's mentoring and we're trusting because we've seen him break through and we're trusting that God can still break through. Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful. Like, honestly, most of us give up after eight minutes <laughs> yeah. of praying for something. And we're like, oh, well, it didn't change. So like, this is stupid. Like, this is a no then. And we just get all like hot and bothered. And, you know, and we're like, God doesn't answer prayer. And he's like, you don't sit still long enough for me to do like, you know, we just yeah. were like, well, I guess I'll fix it myself. then if you're not going to come through, you know, yeah. and like you said, like Deidre, you didn't you couldn't fix it yourself. And I think we often don't let ourselves get into those kinds of situations very often where we, you know, growing, you know, living in a place where we are quite privileged in a lot of ways where we mm -hmm. can pretty much take care of ourselves a lot. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately where it's like, we are not in a lot of situations mm -hmm. where we have to wait a long time for something. Like we can, you know, we pray about it again, eight minutes. And then we're like, okay, you didn't do it. Like, guess I'll figure it out. And we go figure it out. And then we're like, why don't we see any miracles? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, but like, are you willing to sit in this for eight years while I, while I like, you know, create and form this like beautiful thing that you can't see that looks mm -hmm. like mess, but like, it's yeah. gonna, it's gonna be a minute, but like, you know, can you, can you persist in that? I think that's like, that's so powerful. And, um, actually it's like leads into a couple of questions. I actually want to ask each of you individually, just to speak to people who are, are listening who might have really resonated even with situations that they're in in their own lives currently. So um, either as someone who finds himself, you know, in a relationship that sounds eerily similar to one of yours, Kat, <laughs> or right. they, you know, they know they're being trafficked or they didn't know until this moment, or even Deidre, someone who, you know, loves someone who is in the industry. And I think just kind of eat from each of your perspectives, like Kat, what would you say um, to someone who, finds themselves trapped or is like oh my gosh I think I'm in a relationship that sounds like that what would you what would you say to them in this moment um you know what first of all I would encourage you to reach out to somebody who is safe who you know is safe whether that's you calling my organization or an organization mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you know making sure that you're in a position that you can reach out um because there's a lot of times reaching out can be scary and you can feel, you know, um, a lot of threats or danger around it. So getting yourself to a place where, you know, you can slip a note to somebody, you can do something um, mm -hmm. that somebody can absolutely help you because it can feel like you're trapped and, mm -hmm. you know, you're stuck and, and how are you going to get out of this and what are you going to do and where are you going to go and how are you going to support yourself? And all of these questions that I hear the women I mentor 
Um, you know, mm -hmm. when I first got them, the same fears um, that I had, they have, um, and whoever's there has. But mm -hmm. it'll all be worked out. It absolutely will all be worked out. And it's not a story of saying, okay, well, hey, you've got to, you know, take God and come here and then you'll be a, good and we'll help you. No, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. we're here to love you where you're at. Um, my job is not to, you know, convert you into anything. You know, mm -hmm. God will change your heart on his time. And I know that. Mm -hmm. So I'm here to help, you know, bring you to safety and give mm -hmm. you life back and, and help you to live your life um, the best that you possibly can um, as a result of everything that you've been through, you know, like mm -hmm. it's never going to be the same and it's never going to be, you know, it's never going to be horrible. Like it was, that's what mm -hmm. I can tell you. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to be hard, but it can be done. And there's freedom in that. You know, I'm not owned by a dollar bill anymore. I'm not a prisoner mm -hmm. of my own mind, my own thoughts, my own shame, my own guilt. I'm not a prisoner mm -hmm. to that anymore. I make a, a legitimate paycheck. You know, I get up mm -hmm. every day and I like the person that I am. And I know that I have a genuine mm -hmm. heart. And I I'm here to do what I'm supposed to do. You know, I try to I tell people all the time your identity and your behavior are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. Your identity is who you were born to be. The behavior is what's happened to you right mm -hmm. so we all have an identity and i personally believe that identity is in christ um mm -hmm. you know i don't think there is true freedom um until you come to that place with him but we will all get there and then we're all on a journey so mm -hmm. just if you're there reach out reach out ask somebody for help mm -hmm. and we are going to put some of those resources into our show notes so if you are listening and um you don't know where to reach out we are going to have um the information for Kat's organization and and things locally as well. Because Kat, you're in. I always forget. I always say the I'm wrong PO. city. I'm in PO, but I do. You know, I right. go. I'm across Canada. Dealing you go with all over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we will we will have that information there. And um, Deidre, from your perspective, what would you um, have to? How would you say to somebody who loves someone who's in you know who's growing up or their mom or their sister or their friend? How do you? Yeah. How do you, you know, bang your head against the wall and be, how do I love this person um, that I, you know, that I, I hate seeing them in this position, but I feel helpless and powerless to know what to do. What would you, how would you encourage mm -hmm. them? Yeah. The, the biggest thing that brings me strength in my life is my faith and prayer. So mm -hmm. just like being honest with God and like crying out to him and like putting it on his shoulders um, and continuing to bring the heaviness to him. And then mm -hmm. in relationship with the person is speaking life and i mean like encouragement like speak mm. into the person you see that that they are but maybe not yet showing because mm. like there's so many things they're probably believing about themselves that are so heavy and negative and hearing things from from other people are being <laughs> treated horribly yeah. so if you're the person that's trying to plant those small seeds of light of like you know their worth and like their like skills that you see or their talent like those kind of things um encouraging things another other practical thing which i could have not known as a child um <laughs> but as you can learn and grow is boundaries are really important yeah. um mm -hmm. because though i i did not learn them growing up and i was so immersed in like my mom um that can cause damage in itself but now as I've gotten older and continue to like walk with women in their faith and encourage women and, and even with my mom, like I've learned boundaries is 
what is healthy in me loving her and encouraging her, but what is not my responsibility to do? Mm. What is hers to do? I'm here if she needs me, but kind of knowing where those limits are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so yeah. good. Can you can you give us an example of one or two of those like that you've had to set? If that's not like too invasive a question, I just think like, I mean, we, like everyone talks about boundaries and all, but I mean, none of us are really like we're great at it. And it's like, okay, but what does that look like? Because you you know you can feel a lot of guilt around making boundaries too. Of like, oh, and, and the people I've always heard it said that people who don't understand boundaries will not like yours, and they will think that it's actually be like you don't like them and that's why you're setting the boundaries and it's hard for them to so how do you what are some of the ones that you have set um that maybe Mm. were really hard to set but have been really helpful yeah um I think one for me is kind of assessing how I'm feeling emotionally if like Mm -hmm. someone's calling me or wanting to chat um even family and deciding whether I feel I have the capacity to take that conversation in a moment and if I don't Mm like they'll know I'll get back to them when I can. Uh, I turn my phone off at nighttime because mm-hmm. often if someone's calling me in the middle of the night, it's uh, not a good situation. Um, not a situation that I can actually help with. Right. Um, so I just need to, before I had it on all the time and mm-hmm. then I wouldn't sleep well because I realized my mind was kind of, oh, is someone going to call? Um, mm-hmm. but now I turn it off. It's, it's on do not disturb. And if I see any calls, then I will respond when I can the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then just like, because me and mom are figuring out our relationship, if it's like a parent, like relationship is, yeah. you know, like she's so young. Right. So like friendship, we had friendship, but then how does she be my mom? So mm-hmm. certain times, which is strange where like mom's been so encouraged by me and then like, maybe, maybe you can mentor me. (laughs) And I, and I literally was like, no, mom, I love you, but I cannot, you know, I cannot. Somebody else has to. (laughs) And for you as her mom, then Kat, having her say that, you know, how does that, you know, processing that and the boundaries that she's making around that? Well, the good thing is, is that we actually took a boundaries course together. Oh gosh, Um, that would be helpful. There you go, guys. Write that down. (laughs) Read the boundaries book together. Okay. Yeah, I was running a group for the women that I mentor and Deidre was part of it. Um, So we were learning boundaries because I I mean, there's no boundaries in my family. Mm. Absolutely none. Um, And I could never implement them or apply them because I didn't even know what they were. Right. So um, when you're reading this book and you're going, oh, 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 you know, (laughs) um, and realizing that it is going to be uncomfortable when you start saying no. Um, to certain things and, you know, not doing things out of guilt or obligation or because you're worried you're going to get in trouble um, and doing them because it's something you really want to do because there's a difference between, you know, serving somebody because you want to out of joy from your heart than out of obligation, right? That's the difference. If, if I'm doing this because I feel obligated to you and I have to, you're not going to get the best of me. You absolutely are not. So we have had to, you know, learn those boundaries. And I know for Deidre, it is shutting off her phone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always the opposite. I mean, because of my work, but I'm always like, well, what if something ever happens to my kids? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but I've had to learn the boundaries too, because, you know, mm-hmm. we've had some situations in our own um, household with, with, you know, um, kids <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh, we've had to be like, we're not answering the phone, you know, yeah. realizing that, you know, and when those hard times are coming, 
And Deidre and I know they're coming. We will communicate and say, okay, I need you to pray. You need to pray or we're praying mm -hmm. together, right? So it's it's something to be said for, for Deidre and I in our prayer. When we actually are pounding mm -hmm. the pavement or we're praying together, it's just like, oh my gosh, like how did we ever get here? You know, yeah. so back to me out of all of it yes i understand i'm out of prostitution i understand like i get it but the the way that i've seen god intervene and how he was you know putting everything together you know yes eight years she prayed was because god was building character he was doing things he was doing things inside of me that nobody could see that i couldn't mm -hmm. even you know mm -hmm. what i mean and when it was time, when I was ready, you know, it all, it all just was like dominoes. And that's exactly how it happened. You know, and maybe so I, that's like an encouragement for, for people who are trying to walk alongside people that they love. Is that like, you might not see, you know, no. it's like the tip of the iceberg, right? Like there's so much more going on below the surface than above. So just because you don't, you know, see those results in eight minutes, keep going because it doesn't mean that something's not you know, and, and, and maybe that's also part of um, learning how to, you know, learning how to set boundaries is that learning how to identify what's mine and what's yours and what's Absolutely. my responsibility and what's not mine. Because I think we do, like we get the savior complex and it's partially out of love and partially just out of control or whatever. I mean, it's very well intentioned most of the time, but it's in the end, all we get is burnt out. Yeah. Right? You can't fill, you can't fill from an empty, like pour from an empty cup. You can't do mm -hmm. it. You know, mm -hmm. and so many times we're trying, we're, we're trying in our own strength to fix things or, you know, to have things done on our time. And, you know, cause we're not patient. Like you said, everything's available at our fingertips. Right. So it is, so we're not patient with each other no, as a result. No, we're really not. Mm -hmm. So boundaries is really there for you and for the other person. Like it's teaching you character. Like I'm trying to think in our whole interaction, especially since I like came to know God, like, did I ever come at you in you need to change this and like judgment? Like never. did I never? I can say that's with one one thing I think that was so um with with Deidre and I guess maybe it was God. I mean, she never I mean, if anything, it was always like I didn't deserve that. Or, mm. you know, there's so much more for me. It was never like you're bad, you're wrong. This is this is mm. gross. It was never those kinds of words that came out of her mouth. I do remember one time, one time, that my heart shattered into a million pieces, and I remember, and I, Deidre, you probably know what I'm going to say, but I remember being <laughs> at my mom's, and Deidre was there, and I don't know what the conversation was, but I remember Deidre looking right at me and saying, I never want to be like you. And yeah. it shattered me and it shattered. I didn't want her to be like me either, mm. but it was the realization of, I must be so horrible. You know what I mean? Mm. Like my old kid can't stand me, you know? Mm. And it just shattered me. Like it, it, it did something to me. And then I remember the first time I heard Deidre say, like, you know, I'm I'm so glad that you're my mom, you know, <laughs> what that did, because I never, ever thought that I would hear those words um, out mm. of anybody. And, you know, today, Mother's Day is the biggest holiday for me. You know, I love Mother's Day and I celebrate Mother's Day. And I know, like, I know I'm a good mom. 
Mm-hmm. I know. I, I knew I could never say that. And I know I am a damn good mother, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for DJ, it was just, you know, her, her thing was like, you know, mom, did I ever put you down? And like, that was the one time in all of the times that I remember, but mm. she never did. Like she was mm-hmm. loving and nurturing and encouraging and saying, you know, like, you know, mom, you're beautiful or God thinks you're beautiful. She, I mean, she always told me how pretty I was always, always, mm. always, you know? And I never felt that I wasn't, um, you know, but she never was harsh. She was mm-hmm. never like, you're a horrible mom or, you know, I don't want to be with you or it was never like that. You know, mm-hmm. she literally just tried to love me the best way that she possibly could. And I was not an easy person to love. I drove a lot of people mm-hmm. crazy, you know, <laughs> um... in bad ways, you know. So that comment, it came out of just like an eruption of your heart when things just come out, right? Yeah, like you're yeah. like, I'm not heard by you. I'm trying so hard to love you. Yeah. And I, I don't remember the conversation either. I don't mm-hmm. remember it either. I just remember going into the elevator. I was leaving and that you had said it to me. I don't remember what it was. I mean, I could have been done something or said something horrible to her. Yeah. Because I was very vocal with my kids. I was verbally abusive to these children. You know, I hated them. I would blame them for me having to work. Um, Mm. You know, I didn't have to, if you guys weren't alive, I wouldn't have to work. You know, you're Mm. bastards. Like I was really horrible um, verbally Mm. to these kids. Right. So, Mm. yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. But then it actually was Mother's Day. Like I was speaking at a church Mother's Day (laughs) and, um, and then I was speaking about us and I was sharing a song that I had written for her. Mm-hmm. And then on the stage, that's when I was like, you know what, mom, I said this before, but now I say the opposite, you know, like, oh my God. I'm, so, I'm going to cry again. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm so proud to be your daughter. And like, I mm-hmm. see the fierceness and things that you've instilled in me that are good, but it's mm-hmm. still the same thing of like that contrast of like that woman is not who you are. Like, she was just covered in so much pain and everything else that like now we're like get to see like who mom is. And one of the things that I was thinking is what's amazing is when I prayed for mom, I pray that she would get out of the industry because I knew it was destroying her and causing so much pain. And I prayed for her to encounter God. But God has such a bigger plan because those were the two only things I could see. But he was like, yes, and mm-hmm. yes, and she has these giftings that you don't even know about. Mm-hmm. And she has this like strength to mentor other women. And I'm going to build up this organization. Like that was never, ever in my mind. I wasn't praying for that, but he knew. So like he took my little prayers that I did know. And then he just he works so much bigger. Exceedingly and abundantly more. I had like a friend say this to me the other day, and I laughed so hard because I was like, "This is actually a thing." So we were we were talking about um, the business and just like some of the really random like God moments we've been having, and she just is like looking at me and she goes, "You know what, Twyla? I just love this because I feel like I feel like God's just standing there and just keeps being like, hold my beer, like watch <laughs> what I'm gonna do next.'" And I was like, "Oh." Oh my god like it's actually a thing like you just like oh oh you think that's all i got like yeah, yeah. Like, this is just like the funniest mental picture but anyway that's a, a fabulous segue into um your organization cat and what you are yeah. doing now because that is very very true there are 
just a myriad of of gifts and things that you have now been just oh. sharing and blessing the world with and we would love to hear more about how that came into being and what you are involved yeah. in now absolutely so i was doing um stuff on my own for many years um going around and sharing my story um helping the police with different cases mentoring women and you know my mentors uh todd and sheila you know they've been walking alongside of me and they you know when somebody comes out of this any skills that you would have had before just say like life skills you're going to lose you know budgeting banking mm -hmm. how to dress cooking cleaning like because you're you're so removed from that world so i didn't know how to do any of these things um and sheila really came alongside of me and started you know mom mothering me mm -hmm. and showing me how to do things and and things that i had never even learned in my life and i was like you know i need to do something bigger i i need to have something mm -hmm. and you know, we decided to come up with Rising Angels and mm. you know, we wanted to have um, a non-for-profit and we wanted to have a ministry because then people could know who we are. They could donate to us. You could get a tax receipt. Like it, it opens up so many doors to have a non-for-profit, mm -hmm. right? And, and it has opened so many doors because it has given us the ability to pay women's rent to buy food, mm -hmm. to buy groceries, um, you know, to buy baby stuff. Cause some of these women have babies, you know, and we've mm -hmm. been able to furnish everything because of people's generosity and their donations. Um, we go around and we train frontline. So any, you know, mm -hmm. service providers who are dealing with women um, who've gone through this, how to help them, how to walk alongside of them. I share in the schools. Um, I try to educate the kids. Um, and then we have divine church. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. We run a church for women, which is open to all women um, every Tuesday, you know, from 730 to 9 p.m. And that was something that God put on my heart, too. It was just like, you know, he was like, OK, you need to have a church for women because I never felt comfortable in church. I never did. Mm -hmm. I always felt judged. And I'm like, if I felt that, what about women who are going through things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, okay, God, if this is really what you want me to do, because this is crazy, you know, me running a church is just totally beside myself, but we're, we're going to apply for a grant, which was through a, a church. And I said, if we get this grant for this, you know, uh, divine church, we're going to, we'll, we'll do it. And we got it. And, okay. <laughs> and you're like, oh crap, I have to do it. <laughs> so, and Deidre was, Deidre was part of that. Deidre was part of divine yeah. church for a while. And, you know, so that's a place for women to come and be loved on and just learn who God is. And it's like a sisterhood. Um, we run a program for women, which is um, if a woman's going back to school, um, we'll help her, you know, we'll give her a brand new laptop, a printer, all the accessories to go along with it. Cause that can be expensive. Right. So mm -hmm. we are just here trying to make a difference and love on people. And that is what rising angels does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say absolutely is making an enormous, an enormous impact. And I think the things I keep hearing over and over again, just in, in your journey from even getting out of the industry and the people who came around you, it's that like community and relational side of it is like make or break. Am I right in thinking that? Is that what I'm hearing? Like, you know, those are my ride or dies and you need community. Like you mm -hmm. cannot, nobody can do this on their own. And, you know, there's strengths that I can bring to the table that other people can't and vice versa. So it takes a community to really build up women and help them 
get out of this darkness. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is everybody coming together and loving on this one person and bringing in your strengths to help this person mm -hmm. and, and, you know, directing her to where she needs to go. Right. It's being that cheerleader, that advocate, mm -hmm. that person that who's there for her. And that's, you know, the difference, the uniqueness about rising angels is that we are 24 seven. And mm -hmm. I wanted it to be, you know, trauma doesn't just happen from nine to five, yeah. you know, it happens, you know, especially for these women, um, it's happening in the middle of the night. They're having flashbacks and traumas and triggers. Mm -hmm. And just because you get out doesn't mean that you're better. This is a journey. This mm -hmm. is a journey and it takes a long time. So I want it to be that, that place that they could call, you know, when they mm -hmm. are struggling to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just talking them down. That's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I am just being that voice of reason, trying mm -hmm. to talk to them and letting them have somebody to vent to, which is saving lives. It is absolutely mm -hmm. saving lives. So, you know, it's- And do you have like a team of, of mentors or how does that no, work? Or is this just you? <laughs> right now, yeah, it's just me. I mean, the That's thing a is, lot. It, it, is, it is a lot. And the thing is that, you know what, this is specialized. Not anybody can do this and mm -hmm. not not all of the women, you, the girls aren't going to be receptive to just anybody. Mm -hmm. It's usually somebody mm -hmm. who has lived experience. So we have been raising funds. Um, this is still on the download, but it'll be out by the time it's there. But we okay. have been raising funds um, and we have just gotten a flood of monies to be able to hire another mentor. Oh, fabulous. Um, oh, with, oh, it is amazing. Like, mm -hmm. I cannot believe, like, I can go on here and tell you God's stories about mm -hmm. things that have just been happening the money that have been pouring in and you know we have had you know monthly donors up their donations we've had people come along like there is enough money to be able to hire her mm -hmm. you know for more hours than we thought that we originally could which mm -hmm. is hallelujah because i have had yeah. to turn women away right yeah. my plate's full i can't pour anymore yeah. right yeah. so we, we can't have you burning out cat we need you <laughs> Right. And I burned out a lot. Right. I had yeah. to learn. I had to learn. And I'm just and I'm, I'm I mean, I cry to God. I'm like, God, I can't do this. Like, you've mm. got to do something. And he has the floodgates are open. The finances are coming in and we are going to be able to bring somebody else on to be able to help more women. So mm -hmm. that's, that's so awesome. Not everyone can do that aspect of it. But what what can what can people do? You know? I mean, education is key, you know, sharing with people the realities that this is happening right here. This isn't a third world, you know, country issue. Like it is, but it is happening here in our own backyards and understanding what does human trafficking look like? You know, um, you can go and Google it because if I get into it here, we're going to take up a lot more time, but human <laughs> trafficking is happening. It's happening right now. There are more people in slavery than there ever has been um in history you know so educating educating your children you know being aware of what they're watching who they're talking to who their friends are all of that stuff is crucial it's crucial but you know what prayer we need prayer we've seen the power of prayer we've heard about it today you know mm -hmm. <laughs> can move mountains you know mm -hmm. and he's done it um financial donations we always need because we are privately funded we're not funded through the government so you know all of the money that is given to us is put back out there for the women and that's mm -hmm. what allows us to do what we need to do to keep these women above water right mm -hmm. the thing is 
women come out of this, you know, they're expected to go in the system, which is living below poverty line. So how do you do that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For somebody who's struggling, I mean, the cost of living is insane for anybody, but yeah. for somebody who's coming out of that. So, you know, we're able to give them a break and help them, you know, pay, you know, parts of their rent or help with their bills or help with their groceries. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to have to ever have to decide between my rent and food. Like that's mm -hmm. not fair. You know, we live in Canada, right? So, and that's what will send them back to the very place that they come Absolutely. out of, right? Like yeah. you had said, like, and if someone hadn't given you first and last month's yeah. rent, and also just like not that, but with that piece of like, you ended up living down the street from them and yeah. they basically in, inserted themselves into in your life, life right <laughs> you know so it's like you know how how can we you know help you do both like, of these things right yeah it was the, the church the church came around and they paid my groceries until i could get up on my feet and they mm -hmm. did that for a year you know what yeah. i mean um so you know while i was healing and learning and doing all of these things i had the help that i needed and mm -hmm. so it, it is getting involved with an organization and whether you know it's ours whether it's somebody else you know volunteering your time you know mm -hmm. if they're having events go and be part of that you know help with mm -hmm. set up tear down whatever it is that they need because all of this is volunteer i am the mm -hmm. only paid employee um through rising mm -hmm. angels everybody mm -hmm. on my board is volunteer everybody who volunteers with us is volunteer people don't get paid you know, mm. so um, I wish we had all the funds to pay everybody, yeah. but we don't. We absolutely don't. Yeah. You know, so you know, we our our dream one day is to have a transitional apartment building. I don't want I don't want a three by four mm. house. I want. Oh a my gosh! Okay, can we like take a minute? Because like literally, this is like so. I actually have a document on my laptop somewhere when I wanted to start this coffee company and it was going to be a coffee shop, which it has yeah. not looked like yet. Cause it never looks like how you think it's going to look to start. But it was one of the things I wrote in there is that like, how cool would it be if this coffee company would be profitable enough that we could buy an, an apartment building to be like subsidized, like, oh so it's like, and yeah. like literally this is my mind, my brain. And this is the thing is like, like, yeah, we can't all be, you know, mentors, Absolutely. In the, because we don't like where where you need a mentor that has like lived experience. But how can we come around and be community for these girls and bring these things into into fruition and create fill in the holes and fill in the gaps? Absolutely. Right? Like, Absolutely. oh, my gosh, I can't believe you just said apartment building out loud. I, and you know what? God <laughs> has never given me the vision for a house. God has given me the vision for an apartment building. And, you know, they they're the housing, the lack of housing is, is crucial. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And like we have the opportunity to do so many things. And I know people will say, oh, you know what? I can't afford to donate. Or if I only can donate $5, $5 is $5 is $5. Yeah. And yeah. that $5 makes yeah. a difference. And that's yeah. what I need people to understand is, mm -hmm. you know, if you can't afford to no donate, that's fine. Pray for us, you know, mm -hmm. go out and spread our name, you know, talk about this situation, talk about what's happening. Like you can make a difference, mm -hmm. you know, you're one, one, two minutes of, you know, educating somebody else about what's going on. They're going to educate the next and the next and the next, mm -hmm. and you're going to save somebody's life, you know, yeah. and that's, you can't put money on that. It, it is so like, I see the girls like at Christmas, we have, you know, a couple of churches who adopt the girls for Christmas and, and buy them what they're what they're needing or they're wanting and just the looks on these mm -hmm. women's faces when they are seeing like somebody loves mm -hmm. them 
somebody mm -hmm. that has never met them went out and bought Christmas presents for them and their children. And mm. it's that is humbling in itself. And that is community. That is relationship. Yeah. That is what God has sent us here to do is mm. to have those kind of relationships and to be his hands and feet, right? Mm. And do his work. And that's what we're doing. So you loving on somebody with the smallest gracious thing, um, it, it changes their lives. It yeah. changes the way they see themselves, what they've been told about themselves, that they're mm. they, they feel worthy. They feel love. Mm. You know, these women haven't experienced that or they haven't experienced love without having to give something back. I'm not going to give you yeah. something unless you give me something, you know, mm. and to know, like, oh my gosh, you are helping me because you just love me. Like, mm. that's, so, it's you know, that, that's huge. But okay. we do hold training days and um, we probably will hold another one this year as well. I'm not sure when. Yeah, um, and then, that. yeah, it goes up on Eventbrite and um, it's open to everybody. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, they can we, check it out on your website, uh, risingangels.net, mom. Yes, she's probably she's plugging me. I'm like, okay, yeah. No, that's yeah, perfect. I, no, I'm I'm gonna ask you for all of that anyway, and all of these, you know, websites, all the things will be in our show notes as well, so that people can find you and can, you know, donate, um, look you up. Um, I I always ask everyone this question, so I'll ask you both to answer. But what is um one thing that you have learned about um human trafficking in the sex industry specifically that you would want everybody to know or understand? that it anybody this can happen to anybody mm. it can absolutely happen to anybody you know it's not just the broken homed child or the girl in group home or it can happen to anybody these mm. guys are master manipulators they are so sly and mm. this is why i'm saying education is key because it i've seen it happen to women mm. to women who come from really good homes to women who haven't come from really good homes. So nobody's untouchable. Nobody's untouchable. I had someone say, um, that I interviewed on the podcast a little while back, and she said, we all like, we need to know where our vulnerabilities are Absolutely. because they will, and we all have them. So even in your online presence, whatever it is, know yep. what your vulnerabilities are because they will flag those and they will find them and they will prey on them. Like you said, they're, they're master manipulators, right? And we, it's not that like, yes, some people find themselves in more vulnerable situations than others that maybe make them easier targets, but we all have vulnerable points. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, we, we address the women um, or the girls. I mean, this does happen to, to boys as well. Yeah. And it's not just boys who are getting lured into human trafficking. It's boys who are getting lured in to become pimps. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, we live in a culture. We I call this pimp culture that we live in yeah, today. With music, video games, all mm -hmm. of it. Even the lingo that these kids are using is, is pimp culture, pimp language. Mm -hmm. So when that transition happens, they don't even see it till it's too late. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it's not this is just not an issue that's happening to girls. It is happening to boys as well. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. Deidre, what would you say? Mm -hmm to that <laughs> that's a big question but it, it is a big question i guess the first thing that's coming to my mind is as people the small slash big thing you can start doing is thinking about the things that you consume and the way that you mm. think about them whether it's the things that you're listening to what message are they sharing uh the shows you're watching um is pornography a part of your life because that's mm -hmm. all intertwined um mm -hmm. 
and the idea of really question yourself are we seeing one another as a product to buy sexually mm -hmm. and spanning out just because i'm a woman like are you seeing women that way are they just there for your pleasure or are you actually seeing them as human beings mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's such a hard it's such a fine line because we see you know um we see sugar daddies we see only fans you know that's a form of prostitution you know mm -hmm. um, and it's just like such the normal oh, i got a sugar daddy and he's taking me shopping and he's buying me everything at what cost mm -hmm. at what cost you know, all of that materialistic stuff that you think that you're getting, that you're accumulating or whatever, there's a cost to that. Yeah. And you may not see it right away, but it will happen. Mark my words. You know, I've heard it so many times, girls who say, you know what, I'm only going to do this for a year. I'm only going in. I won't be as stupid as you. I've heard it all. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, every single one of them has ended up with trauma, with trauma mm -hmm. and trying to get their lives back because buying and selling of human human beings is not what god created for us to do and you know like it you know everybody's like oh well it's only fans it's online i'm not i'm not in front of anybody i'm not with it it's still you are selling a piece of yourself to mm -hmm. somebody else we are like we're in 2022 and we are still buying and selling human beings to me that's just mm -hmm. and making and making excuses for it <laughs> absolutely you know not not yeah. calling it what it is right it's, it's huge um well thank you so much for for sharing i think that's really important i i think the reason i love that question is that i it ends up you know kind of busting apart some myths or some things that makes people think about some of the things that maybe they have not understood about the industry um or you know the people that end up in it right there's a lot of misconceptions there can be a lot of judgment there can be all kinds of things or i would never end up there and, you know so just hearing something like that um, that it can really happen to anyone. It, we're, I'm not so special over here just because that hasn't been my experience. Right, you know, right. doesn't doesn't put me on any different you know level or platform than anyone else. It's just a few different circumstances away from being in the same, you know, the same shoes. So I, I really like, I really appreciate you both as people and also just as being for being on this podcast. Um, we do have one final question that we ask everyone that's not related. Um, so much to this as it is to coffee, because technically we are a coffee company. And Deidre, I know that you drink tea, so it is okay. You can still answer this question. Um, but we I don't drink everyone. coffee either. We don't drink <laughs> coffee either. That's fabulous. We'll just call it beverage of choice. So basically, <laughs> if you could have your beverage of choice just exactly the way that you like it, what would you be drinking? Who would you drink it with and where? Oh, wow. Well, honestly, my beverage, I, I love water. Not even gonna lie, I love water. I and wish I loved water. I gotta be I honest. I wish water. I did. I think I my it. life would be better if I loved water. <laughs> um, I love it. I, like I hate flavored water. It has to just be water. But I, I do love tea. But it would have to be Earl Grey tea. Um, I got mum used to London Fog. Oh yeah, sorry, London Fog. That's what I meant. Yes, London Fog. Uh, That's my yes. favorite. My favorite. I love it. I would be drinking that somewhere warm, and I would mm -hmm. be like sitting down with Jesus. Jesus in a London fog. I don't yeah. hate that. I don't yeah. hate it. <laughs> That's fabulous. What about you, Deidre? 
Okay, so something about me is my personality, I guess, is about variety. Maybe it's the creativity part. Like, yeah. I need to write with different colored pens. So, like, as for what I'm drinking, it depends how I feel in a uh -huh. day. But um, you're a tea person generally, is that Am I you know correct what, on that? Tyler? Or not really? I have come to realize I like coffee, but I like lattes. Oh. Yeah, that's that's how most people start. That's the gateway. <laughs> I've tried. That's the gateway. <laughs> that's I've the gateway tried, to coffee. I've tried Bodum coffee and things like that. I just don't like it. I'm about the mm -hmm. espresso. Um, yep. So if I'm going to have you. coffee, it's, it's lattes. But today I had a dirty chai. Um, oh, that's good. Which yes. is chai latte with espresso shot. Mm -hmm. uh, where? Oh my goodness! That those are harder. I thought you were just going to ask me about drinks. Um, Surprise! Uh... <laughs> okay, I'm gonna... a favorite place. That's fine. Oh come on! You would go to Ireland, Deidre. <gasps> I've never been, but I don't know. Like, oh, what's I would go. To, I would go to Ireland with you and drink dirty chais. Hundred yeah, percent. Take me. Take me. There's your person. <laughs> Sorry, Brody. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> you, you'll be fine. You have a podcast to run, Brody. So <laughs> yeah. one thing, Twyla. We'll say that. Have, did you know, Deidre? Fun fact that apparently, I think it's it's some. I thought it was Ireland, but there used to be this like ginger pride parade where they like literally celebrated. And I'm like goals to go there, but I haven't been able to find it. So like, that's a hundred percent what we're doing. We're going to go drink our dirty <laughs> chai lattes together with our ginger hair yep. in, and like walk on like a float in the parade. There you go. Anyway, that's, awesome. that's not at all where you were going. I just, that just like <laughs> flooded back into my head. I said that was a thing. Yeah. Where would you go, Deja? Who would you drink your tea with or your drink of choice? Okay, so my mind is really simple. I don't know. It's literally, I just love coffee shops. I love the mm -hmm. atmospheres. Mm -hmm. And like, it would really just be, I don't know, a girlfriend, like yeah. someone, we're just gonna have a good chat. Let's just have a warm cup of whatever you want. And just like hang out. Like I love those moments. See, I like the deep moments. I want to sit down with Jesus and go, what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> What? what you know yeah. that's what i wanted to know yeah. first question you'd ask jesus what were you thinking, you thinking? <laughs> you know? oh my Definitely. god I so much. Yeah. is there anything else that you guys want to say that you have on your hearts that we didn't touch on that you're like dying to get out there that i missed before we uh well i, I mean a little bit of i think what deidre does now um because i mean she's she's a mover and shaker yeah. too so i think she's <laughs> yes dj we Drop. didn't even get into where you're at please that's okay it's hard there's like three of us so even more conversation <laughs> yeah so i am currently part of an awesome ministry called e3 ministry um and me and my husband are a part of it together I've done some amazing things with my mom. Like she says, we've spoken together. I was part of um, the divine leadership team with her. I did have mm -hmm. to step down to focus in and not do all the things. Um, boundaries, boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> we do the training together. When she does her Mending Broken Wings training, I share in it as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I told her, my heart, like I said, is really just to encourage women in their faith and be real and authentic with faith. So I said, mom, if there are any women you are mentoring that want to chat more about faith and just learn mm -hmm. more about God, send them my way. So um, she has, and I there's some awesome, that. 
yeah, there's some awesome ladies that I just connect with, check in with them, pray with them. Let's read some scripture together. Um, and then always just trying to fuel my creativity, whatever that looks like, whether leading worship somewhere or trying to write more songs or, you know, just sharing creativity on Instagram. Um, so yes. yeah, all the, all the different things there. Yeah. So you see, that's another thing, like you were just saying, like, how can people help? Like it, we all need to play our part when it comes to these women, you know, I'm mentoring these women, but there's women who are open and who are hungry for God. And Deidre's really good at that. You yeah, know, I'm yeah. really good at the mentoring. She's really good at explaining the whole, you know, God. And if we all just all did the things we're good at instead of trying, yeah. I mean, not that you don't try new things, but like, we don't have to, you know, stress. You it like, you know, for you to be able to be like, yeah, I can release them to her and let, yeah. let her because because that's also like that's such a gift even you know for you Deidre to be part of that and for yeah. them to get to you know then there's another person in their life not just not just Kat now they also have you know Deidre and I think that's I think that's really special and I just I love that the two of you like work together and speak together like I said before I just think it's such a like a unique gift that often you don't get to hear these two stories but side by side and I think a lot of times like all of us we think that we live these very individual lives that don't touch other people that our decisions don't touch other people and the way that we live in the world doesn't touch other people and it really does whether yeah. we're aware of it or not right it we are we are connected and it and it matters like and it matters when we pray for each other and it matters mm -hmm. you know it just and you don't know where your story is going to end up in eight years 10 years no. 15 years right but i think that I think that anyone, I would hope that anybody listening would would be able to just take a lot of hope away. Like I just feel a lot of hope coming out of this, of that things don't have to stay the way they are. It might take mm -hmm. a minute, but they don't have to stay the way that they are. And there is hope. I think that both of you have done such a beautiful job of, of sharing your stories so vulnerably. And I just want to like honor you for doing that. I think it's amazing and i think Thank you're you. both amazing and <laughs> i could gush for another like 20 minutes but i won't do it because it'd be awkward <laughs> um, so yeah thank you so much for being on here you thank you amazing well i did not know that a heart could break and mend so many times in one single conversation i'm sure that each of you um are going away with so much to think about um and so much uh, that you've learned but if you specifically are listening and uh, you recognize yourself in katarina's story or even deidre's story um, and you're feeling like there is not a way out um, we want to tell you that there is hope and there is help um, you can call the human trafficking hotline in Canada. That's anywhere in Canada, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's 1-833-900-1010. Um, and if you're in Waterloo, Wellington County, which is where we are, um, at any time you can, uh, contact the police, um, as our good friend Jay told us, you won't be penalized for that. Um, but also you can email them anytime at intel.ht at wrps.on.ca. All of this information we will have in our show notes, um, as well as all of the um, details to get in touch with Katerina and Rising Angels and Deidre. We do not want you to have to go through this alone and you don't have to go through this alone. And like you heard um, in their stories today, there is hope and it does not have 
have to stay like this and we want um, freedom and a new life for you. So if you find yourself in that position, please, please reach out. And any of the rest of you who are listening, if you were impacted even at all by this story, please send us an email, send Katerina a message and, and let her know it's an extremely vulnerable thing to do to share the story. And I know this is a long episode um, and you made it all the way to the end, but it is, we are, we are just so thankful um, that there are people out there who will honor our friend's stories by listening fully to them so we love you guys and we can't wait to share our next story with you on our summer story series